the Sunday Sermons Podcast. This morning is the second in a series called Put the Hammer Down. And every single week, that phrase means something different. Today, I'll just be straight out, this is what it means. It means you've been working, as in using a hammer. And then, after six days of hard work, you put the hammer down. You rest for a little bit. That's where we're going today. Because living God's way and achieving all of his goals for us requires regular rest and regular resets and relentless hard work as well. And most of us struggle in one direction of those or the other. Either we never get the work done or all we do is work. And God actually set up a rhythm. And it's actually in our bodies. It's, in, it's, it's scientifically something that you can see even if you're not looking for God. Recently, I've been getting really serious about working out again, and I've been using a program called Insanity. Has anybody ever tried Insanity? It's very aptly named, isn't it? It's, it's insane. It's nuts. But it's also scientifically based. It's based on the idea that they've, it, it's a good thing to walk or jog or run on a treadmill, but you do exponentially more, you get faster and you make more progress faster if you do bursts of 100%, everything you've got and more, and then you rest, and then you do everything you've got and more, and then you rest. 20 or 30 minutes of that does more than like three hours of just kind of casually jogging. Does that make sense? That's the concept. And that's something that they've proven now through science. And everything you've got and then a little bit of rest makes a lot of progress. Same thing, science has also proved throughout just by setting our bodies, if we rest one day every week, Here's some things that it could help with. And these sound pretty appealing to me, so hopefully to you as well. It can reduce your stress, your inflammation in your body, and your risk of heart disease. It can boost your immune system and help you sleep better. It can restore mental energy, reboot your creativity and productivity. It can even improve your ability to focus in your short-term memory. Does that sound appealing to anybody? I, I, I look at that list and I go, man, I, I really could use some help in those areas. Maybe I should rest once a week. I, I, I'm serious. This is a struggle for me. I'm going to be really honest with you guys. This is, this is just, well, I'm always honest, but maybe this is a little too transparent. I'm not sure what the word is. But, but, but seriously, I struggle with this one. This rhythm idea is really hard. It's hard for me to put the hammer down at all. Maybe that's your struggle. Maybe your struggle is you never pick the hammer up. Whatever God is telling you to do this morning, that's between you and God. And I hope the Holy Spirit makes it work. But here's the truth. All the way from creation, we see that God designed both work and rest. God designed both work and rest. He embedded this rhythm of hard work and rest into creation itself. And that was before the fall. Everything got twisted and broken and spoiled by the fall, including work and rest and how we do it and why we do it and all of that. But still, innately, fundamentally, both are holy. Innately, they point back to the character of God. God himself does both and designed our bodies and designed creation to follow that pattern. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3 says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. 
This is a gift he gave us. It's kind of like naps. I heard some of my friends talking out in the atrium the other day. And by the way, I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm listening even when it looks like I'm not. You might end up in a sermon someday, so watch, watch what you say. But they were talking and it made me laugh out loud. They, they said naps are wasted on the young. That's true, isn't it? And a little kid, you're like, no, no naps. And as an adult, sometimes it's like, man, I would love to take a nap right now. Am I the only one? Okay. But here's the thing. The concept of Sabbath goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the character of God and how he created this world that we live in. It goes back to his original design. The command to rest once a week never shows up until Exodus. Several centuries have gone by, and people still know that this is the rhythm. that It's in there, but it, hadn't, it, it wasn't a command yet. It wasn't part of the law. The first time you see it show up as a command, as a law, is in Exodus 16. And that's the story where Israel, again, is whining and complaining and saying that God is not taking care of them the way that they wish he would. He's not doing a very good job. They felt like they actually had it better off as slaves in Egypt. And so God says, okay, watch this. Six days a week, I'm going to send this stuff called manna that's just going to show up on, your, on the ground, and it's going to be like bread. And every night, six days a week, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of quail. You'll have bread and meat at least every single day, since that's what they were wishing for. We don't have any bread. We don't have any meat. So it's like, you're going to have bread and meat now. But embedded in his instructions about this was he said, on the sixth day, you'll have extra Save extra. It won't come on the seventh day, but trust me, you'll have enough. So the first time that we see a command about the Sabbath, about the rest, it's not just a principle. It's not just a concept. It's not just part of the character of God. It's all about trusting him. Exodus 16, 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy or set apart, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left. Keep it till morning. The whole thing was about, Jaira, you are enough. It was trusting in God. Trusting that if we took a break, we'd still be okay if we were taking it in honor of him. Now, a couple chapters later, Exodus 20, God actually gives them the law. Actually, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, if you will. And this is now a sign of this law. It's a signet, kind of like this wedding ring that I wear. Uh, this, I, I actually don't have a lot of people checking me out these days. But if they ever did, they'd know that I was taken because I wear this on my left hand. Are you with me? They'd go, oh, no, he's taken. Just being honest, it doesn't happen. And that's good. I'm just telling you the truth. But they know because I wear this, this is a sign that I belong to somebody. This represents something. And every part of that law, including the Sabbath, was a sign these people belong to God. Notice the wording. He says, remember the Sabbath day. And in the Bible, whenever you see the word remember, especially in the Old Testament, it's talking about keeping a promise you've made or fulfilling a promise you've made. It's not that you've forgotten it. It's that you intentionally make it happen. You, like when God remembered Noah in the ark and started making the water come down. He, he, it wasn't like he was going, oh, no, they've been out there for months. 
I get, it, he knows exactly what's going on. But he's like, I promise you, I'll take care of you on the other side of that. And so on that day, he remembered Noah. Okay? So they already know about the Sabbath. But he's, here, listen to this command. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So again, the law, the, the, the symbol of the Sabbath, the specifics, is based in the principle that predated even the fall. Are we tracking so far? And at, he's asking them to uh, remember it. And when people go, wow, these people are really serious about that Sabbath thing, that would be a sign that those people belonged to the God who created this world. All right. There's also a Sabbath year. A lot of times people don't think about that, but it's in there too. Exodus 23. There's so much about all of this stuff in Exodus chapter 23 and 25 that in your sermon outline, which is also a Bible study every single time, it just says Exodus 23 and 25 instead of listing all these verses that go up on the screen. I hope you go back, let the Holy Spirit walk you through these truths again later. But here's what it says in verses 10 to 12. For six years you shall sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year... Let the land lie unplowed and unused. Again, appeal to science, people that don't even believe in God. They know that if you rest the land every seven years, it gets more productive. It fixes all the carbon levels. It does a lot of great stuff. We don't usually do that. Instead, we do a bunch of chemicals and other things to get around that. But people know that that's part of the design of nature. But God was serious about this. Look at what he said in Exodus 31. You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between you and me for generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. And yes, you heard that correctly. Breaking the Sabbath for the Israelites was a capital punishment. That's pretty serious. Here's the key. This is what he was trying to tell them. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. And when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law and the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So again, the law really matters, and it especially mattered to the people of Israel in that time, in the Old Covenant. But the concept of Sabbath is rooted in something far deeper. It's the very character of God, the very nature of how he created us, how he created this world to work. Here's something else you need to know about God. God loves real celebrations. Let's say that out loud together. God loves real celebrations. And what I mean by real celebrations is celebrations that remind us who he is and whose we are. Celebrations that actually give us a chance to rest and to re recharge, to be restored, to remember all of these things. What makes life worth living? To refocus and get ready to pick the hammer 
back up with renewed energy. God loves stuff like that because he loves us to have fun while we are remembering that he is enough. He is Jairah, the God who provides. And he wants us to remember that. And when we take a break and we just step out of the rat race for a second and life still continues, and we take a moment to put some of that energy and some of that time into remembering who he is and whose we are, there's power in that. It's not a, it's not a curse. It's not a, a job. It's not a task. It's a blessing. It's, it's like a nap. Sometimes it's wasted on all of us. I know it's been wasted on me many times. But all throughout Leviticus 23, 25, and all threaded out throughout the other parts of the Old Testament, you see that God created not only the Sabbath, but this intricate system of celebrations. The Day of Atonement got mentioned in the communion meditation this morning. And there was also the Feast of Trumpets and the Day. Uh, There's just so many. I don't have time to go through the entire list, but it's intricate and beautiful. And all of it is symbolic about God and Jesus. And it's just this cool thing. And on top of all that, they had a Sabbath, Sabbath year. Not only the day, not only the year, but they had a Sabbath, Sabbath year called the year of Jubilee. Leviticus 25. Count off seven Sabbath years. Then on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee for you. And here's why. Again, he wants us to remember who he is and whose we are. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Most of that chapter, most of the descriptions of the year of Jubilee talk about setting all the slaves free and settling all the debts. Not just settling them like they were done. If you owed somebody money, you don't owe them anymore after the year of Jubilee. It all starts over. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be awesome if we all actually lived by these things? Whether we're bound by the Israelite law of the Old Testament or not, wouldn't it be amazing if actually life worked like this? It's beautiful. It's so cool. But he says, here's why you have to set all the slaves free and release all the debts. For the Israelites belong to me as servants. They are my servants or my slaves. It could also be translated like that. They are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But he didn't want him to just like be serious and bored. These are fun. These were feasts. They were celebration. They sang. They danced. They played instruments. They ate a lot. They drank a lot. They did a lot of different things. It was a big party to remember God and to celebrate whose they were. But he likes real celebrations. As much as he likes the real stuff, he hates it when it's fake. Listen to what he said through the prophet of Isaiah, prophet Isaiah many centuries later. He says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. So wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. 
defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the cause of the widow. Some of us, I'm telling you, me, we need to be reminded that it's, there are times to set the hammer down, remember who we are, whose we are. But never forget that God expects us to spend most of our time actually with the hammer in our hands. There's stuff he wants us to do on this planet. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. If you don't know us very well here, we're not political. We don't celebrate things because we're trying to support a specific party or something like that. That's not what we do. But if you look in the bulletin as well, there's a special handout that's advertising one of the groups that we support called Life Choices Resource Center. There's an extra Bible study on the back here for you. It's just so clear. It's unmistakable in the scriptures that God loves everybody, including those who are unborn. And he loves the unwed mothers and he loves the unwed fathers. He loves everybody in that equation. And he expects God's people to make the world a better place where people don't feel like their only option, their best option is to kill their unborn children. No matter what our government or our courts ever decide to do about that, I'm not telling you not to try. I'm just saying whatever they decide, it's the kingdom of God's responsibility to reach out in love to everybody in that whole equation, born and unborn, male and female, whether they are guilty of sin or not guilty of sin. That's our job to make the world a place where people are excited to bring their children into the world. Maybe that means bringing someone into your home. Maybe that means adopting. I don't know what that means, but I'd like you to pray about it today. This is the kind of stuff that God wants us to do six days a week, and then we put the hammer down. Is this making sense? This is the context. The very next verse here is one of the most famous parts in the Bible. It's important to remember the context every time, I believe. This is where God says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So a lot of times when people talk about the Sabbath and that concept, the, the next thing that we all say, because we all heard all those stories in Sunday school, we go, but wasn't Jesus like against the Sabbath? Didn't Jesus like, wasn't he like constantly like breaking the Sabbath on purpose? The truth is Jesus actually kept the Sabbath religiously. Uh, most of the stories that we have about Jesus are about him on his way to the synagogue or leaving the synagogue or in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. As a Jewish man, he was always there. And his, er, his early followers, Paul and many others, they kept keeping the Sabbath. They were there. When Peter and John healed a man um, and got in all kinds of trouble for it, they were part of a prayer ceremony on the Sabbath day. They weren't against the Sabbath. It wasn't that it was wrong. We'll see in a second that we're not as bound as they were. But they weren't, he wasn't about breaking it. He was about reminding people that all the rules about it point back to God's design. All the rules about it point back to the character of God. And you can't just do the rules without the real thing. Notice what Jesus said. He said things like, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He constantly asked questions like, is it good to do good or to do evil, 
on the Sabbath? Should I save life or destroy life on the Sabbath? Isn't it a good thing to set people free on the Sabbath? Isn't it a good thing to heal on the Sabbath? That's the kind of stuff Jesus was saying all the time. He was pointing back. He goes, it's, God's not all about crossing off a thing on your calendar. He's all about this idea that we do his will six days and then we put the hammer down and we rest and remember who he is and whose we are. Does that make sense? We do see this actually in the New Testament. And honestly, there, there's some brothers and sisters that we have out in this world, other fellow Christians called the Seventh-day Adventists. And they have a better case really for meeting on Saturday than we do for Sunday. I'm just being straight up. Because it was never totally abolished. It was never said, thou shalt not meet on the Sabbath anymore. And, and honestly, I'm going to read you the very few parts in the Bible right now where we see that the first day of the week was kind of special to the early church. And I, I believe for many reasons it's, it's a great way. I'll say that out loud before I read those to you. But the concept of the Sabbath was never abolished. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And there's a difference. The whole thing was pointing to him. Acts 20 verse 7 says, On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There's several other places like this. I'll read you one of those where we see that they actually met daily in public and in their homes. But for some reason, they chose the first day. I'll tell you about that in a second. This is what you see much more than that, much more than you shall now meet on the first day. What you see over and over is stuff like this that Paul also said. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or without, with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. But you do see more of this stuff, like 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And actually, all the way through the Old Testament, you see the first day also being special. Think about it. In creation, he rested on the seventh day, but on the first day, he said, let there be light. The whole thing started. Darkness into light. Time started. Everything that we know about the universe, it started on the first day. And the first day of the week is the day that Jesus Christ came back to life. Yeah, they, they made sure that they got his body buried before the Sabbath started, and they didn't go visit it until the Sabbath was over. But the big deal of that story suddenly became that on the first day of the week, Jesus Christ had come back to life. And ever since then, that's been special to us. But that's the whole reason. That's why we meet on Sundays. It's not a new command. It's not anything else. It's just all of those reasons we, we choose to do this. And we know that it's, we're no longer bound by the law that we have to meet on Saturdays. Are you tracking? Hallelujah. So this is where we're going to wrap up today. We've got just a few more minutes. But this is so important. This is the system that God still wants from us. It's not a legal thing. It's not a judgmental thing. It's not something he wants us to follow each other around. It's not a checklist. It's not a legalistic nonsense kind of thing like it slowly became for the Jews. 
What it is, is a basic concept of this is how I designed you and how I designed the world. And it's this little thing. Let's say it together. Work, rest, celebrate, repeat. One more time. Work, rest, celebrate, repeat. And if you, if you leave any of those out, you're missing God's design. And we don't want to miss any part of his design. We must never confuse belief with intentional strategic obedience. You can't really believe in God. You can't actually have faith in God without doing something about it. Living God's way and achieving his goals for us requires regular rest and resets. It requires us to also work relentlessly. We've got to embrace every single part of this holy cycle if we're going to get anywhere. And that's why Jesus Christ himself said this. Listen, the whole thing is even in this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, say it with me, rest. But watch what comes next. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm going to give you rest. I'm also going to work with you and have you work with me. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to get better at some stuff. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we submit everything that we are to God, we don't just have healthier gardens and healthier bodies and whatever else. It's so much deeper than that. It's, it's everything that we are. It's restoring us in the image of God. I don't know which part of this you struggle with, but the whole thing has to be there. One of my biggest heroes is Desmond Doss. I keep coming back to him maybe too often. I love that dude. His story just inspires me so much. But when he was saving all those people that night on Hacksaw Ridge, that's the thing he was most famous for doing. The story just, it's a perfect illustration of exactly how this works. They ask him later, how in the world did you save over 75 people where you had been abandoned? They had all been abandoned. The the whole army had pulled out. Nobody thought there was anybody alive up there. Nobody was trying to help at all. But he saved over 75 people. How did you do it? He said, I just kept praying that God had helped me get one more. He'd already been up there 24 hours before that night started. Already been in combat. Already serving as a medic for 24 straight hours. And then they bombed the place and abandoned him. But he would crumple in exhaustion and he would pray. Lord, please help me get one more. And then he'd go looking for one more and he'd save them and he'd bring them, carry them, drag them, whatever he had to do, lower them down on a rope down this long cliff. And then he'd crumple again because he was done. And he'd say, God, please help me get one more. And then he'd get up and he'd do it. He'd save that person. Then he'd fall down again. God, please help me get one more. Brothers and sisters, that's the rhythm. That's what it looks like to keep coming back to him and saying, God, I need, I got to get through one more week. I got to get through one more day. I got to help reach one more person. I've got to save one more life. I've got to do whatever it is that he's asking you to do. All those six days, you come back to him and you say, Father, I need you. Help me do it one more time. And he says, okay. And you have enough strength to do it one more time, and then another one more time. 
I don't know which part of that cycle that you're struggling with. Maybe it's the idea of it being a cycle at all. Maybe you've worked really hard sometimes and rested really hard sometimes, but that's not really your lifestyle. Maybe it's the idea that you never pick the hammer up. You never actually try to do the things God has called you to do. Maybe you know some things that you know he's calling you to do and you've never got around to doing it. Maybe you're like me and you just, you just don't know how to ever set the thing down and rest. What I'm asking you to do this morning is what Jesus is offering to you, to come to him, not me, but come to him and find rest for your souls. Come to him and find work that matters and his strength right there next to you. You're yoked with him to learn from him, to submit all the stuff that makes sense to you to the stuff that only makes sense to him until it somehow suddenly does make sense to you because this is the new rhythm of your life. Maybe that means giving your life to Jesus the first time. Maybe that means joining our fellowship officially. Maybe that means something very private. Maybe it's something you want to make public. If you need prayer, you can come forward. Somebody will join you. Whatever you need to make, please would you start that cycle or reboot that cycle this morning. We need to live so that we're constantly doing God's work and constantly putting down the hammer and remembering whose we are and who he is. Let's stand, let's sing.